this point, I'll just, the kids are dismissed and, and sent off to Children's Church. So thank you for you know, being with us, making it this far. Good job. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, and the, the Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 983. We are working through this great letter. Paul is writing to encourage new Christians, a new church. How do you live? How does the gospel change the way you think, the way you live, the way you love, the way you walk, the way you talk? I mean, all these things are packed in here. You, when you become a new creation, when you become a Jesus follower. And so that starts to change your priorities, your heart, your mind, everything. And so today we're going to hear how Paul teaches us to pray for others. And so let's read it. And we'll, we'll jump in. This is God's word. And Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this is God's word. It is true, telling us a true story about who God is and what we are like, and he's speaking to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father, God, I pray you would fill us again with knowledge of you and knowledge of your will, and that as we hear that will, that you would strengthen us for the journey ahead, strengthen us with the grace we have in Jesus, so that we might be patient and endure all the fiery trials of suffering and success that you're walking us through. So Holy Spirit, come, fill us again with wisdom an understanding, and a deep awareness that we are God's beloved children through faith in Christ. So change us to be like him, we pray. Amen. So what did you think of Paul's prayer there? Or even prayer in general? I don't know what comes to mind when you think about prayer, if it's groaning or guilt or, or what. But in, in our, no, in our secular age when, when we start to say, we want to pray for you, we want to ask God, the creator, to intervene, we get, now this whole conversation is different because we get met with skepticism that it even does anything. Right, some of these things we've been talking about in Sunday school, that it, between 1348 and 1350, uh, a plague hit England, right? And about 40 to 60% of the population perished. And the Church of England, in response to the crisis, right, this was what they, what they called the whole nation to do. Pray. Pray for other people. Pray that God would do something. They called on the entire nation to ask God to have mercy and, and bring healing to, to end the plague. And if you fast forward 600 years to when uh, the HIV-AIDS crisis hit our nation and the world. Uh, 
Again, a lot of people were dying and suffering. And the churches, Church of England's response to that crisis, do you know what it was? It was, may the government increase spending on medical research. Which tells you a little bit about how much this conversation about prayer has changed. Right? Where our first instinct is not to cry out for help from the God who intervenes, as Paul is doing, to pray for others but to say, well, I, let's see what we can do first by ourselves. It's changed. We can add another portrait to the way we process prayer. I mean, it, some of you remember, it, remember when the Pulse nightclub, a gay nightclub in Florida, was violently attacked. Something like 49 people died and, and more were wounded. And what was fascinating was just the offense people took to, be, to prayer. I mean, even the Dalai Lama, right? He's, he said, up. Oh, I am Buddhist and I believe in praying, but humans have created this problem and we're asking God to solve it. It's illogical. God would say, solve it yourself because you created it in the first place. All right. So that's why I ask, what do you hear when Paul says, I am praying for you because I really do believe God's going to do something? It sounds weird to modern people, especially those who don't know Jesus. And yet, in spite of all that swirling around, Paul models and shows us what is really ordinary. This is the ordinary Christian life. We do this every week here at Hope. We pray for other Christians. We pray for you. You pray for us. It's, it's what you are being taught and discipled and trained to do. That uh, We ask God our Father to intervene in other people's lives. And everywhere I've been around Christians, no matter what ethnicity they are, that's what they do. Right? Just like Paul's doing here. And we're going to talk about what he teaches us. Christians from Britain, South Africa, Australia, places in Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Canada, India, Japan. I mean, all these different Christians that I've run into either through travels or international settings at school, they all pray for other Christians. Because that's what Christians do. <laughs> that's what Jesus teaches them to do. Christians pray for other Christians, and it, it shouldn't be a surprise because that's what Jesus taught us to do when he said, this is how you pray. Paul's imitating Jesus. Right? Remember the Lord's Prayer. It's give us our daily bread. Right? I'm not just praying for me to get fed. I'm praying for my Christian brother or sister. You know, it's forgive our debts. It's not just my sin. Forgive the, one of the person next to me that I'm bumping into. It's lead us, not into temptation, which is still getting, again, getting your attention, not just on me and my problems and my inability to get this right or my desires to do the wrong. It's, it's thinking about other people. Yeah. So Christians pray for other Christians. So how are you doing? Is this a regular part of your life, a regular part of your prayer life? Do you have a prayer life as a follower of Jesus? I know how this makes some of us feel, <laughs> right? Prayer's not always easy. We feel guilty because I don't pray enough for me, much less other people. And yet, this is what I'm hoping you see. When Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, he's modeling something. And it's, it's setting you on a trajectory where you learn to grow in your awareness of other people, other Christians, and their needs. And to be comfortable, say, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And Paul's going to show us what kind of things to pray. Right? 
And so let me, let me start with a confession, right? This is something I'm, I've always wanted to get better at because I've never really felt adequate at, at praying because what do you say? Right, when you come to someone who's suffering, what words do you have? Because all I want to do is fix it. What kind of things do you pray for our brothers and sisters here who are sick, uh, who are completely dependent on, on modern medicine? What, right, and, and do I remember to do it more than once? When you leave my line of sight, right, that's the challenge to then remember you when I don't see you in prayer. And so Eugene Peterson helps encourage me when he says, this is, Paul's going to teach us, and God's words are here to teach us how to pray, what to say. And Eugene Peterson says, when you use God's words in Scripture to teach us to pray, we, we need to do that because when we're left to ourselves, we're never more selfish than when we pray. Because you have God the great sympathizer, and God the great giver, and God the great promiser, and so then we go to our knees and indulge our every impulse for self-gratification. Right? It's tempting when you pray to only think of you. Paul's going to give us a different model. Because it's so easy because we hear God is good to say, just give me what I need. The gospel is getting you to look outside of yourself and think about the needs of others. So let's learn from Paul how to pray. I want to learn from Paul how to pray. I want to learn with you how to pray. And we're going to learn like our son Samson is learning. Samson's 18 months. You know how he's learning to speak? Whatever his siblings tell him to say, he repeats. He imitates. And he just keeps practicing and practicing until he gets it and it becomes clear. And clear in his own mind to tell us what is. And that's how we come to the scriptures. We, we get to learn what words to use and how to speak. And God's going to give us a vocabulary for prayer for other people. So let's learn how to pray. That's my first point. How do you pray? Look at verse 9. It says, And so from the day we heard, the day we heard that they became Christians and started following Jesus, Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Right? It's, pretty, it's pretty interesting. This is Paul's first instinct. When he hears of new Christians, he starts praying for them. When he hears of a new church, he starts praying for them. And he doesn't do it once. It's, it's again and again. There are particular things that he keeps asking God for. He keeps bugging God for. Right? Paul's mind and heart and his attention... What, what his attention is in his prayers are on other Christians. I mean, I know he's a, you can say he's a pastor, he's an apostle, but I mean, he's, he's teaching you. He's discipling us. Right? And so he prays these things continually, which is telling you something about prayer. It's meant to be ongoing. It's meant to be continual. It's meant to be repetitive. Uh, prayer is the way we talk to God the way children talk to their parents. You just keep asking even, even if you know they will give it to you anyway. <laughs> right? We feed our kids every day, and yet they still keep asking us for food. It's the same thing. And so if you hear what Paul's saying to the Colossians, he's saying, I keep asking God for these particular things for you. Because, and here's, here's what I think the reason is, this is what is important for you as a Christian to change, to grow, to become a maturing follower of Jesus. These are always good things to pray for another Christian. That's the point. 
and to do it again and again and again until we see Jesus face to face. That no matter what you're going through, these prayers right here, this prayer, is always relevant. Whether you're suffering or comfortable. To know God's will, to grow in wisdom, to grow in your understanding, praying that people might bear fruit, uh, figure out how to walk worthy of Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, To walk with joy rather than complaining, to, to have strength, to go through another day, even if you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Praying for patience. God works on a completely different timetable. Uh, To grow in our ability to say thank you, which was last week's sermon. Does that sound like your prayer list for other people? As Westerners, I know know this is my first instinct, I just want to say, God, fix it. Paul's emphasis is on what kind of person will you become through what you are going through. (laughs) He's much more interested in character development and faith building and understanding of the gospel than uh, getting out of the circumstances. Though those are good things and and the Bible says you should pray for them. So, lesson number one, how do you pray? Prayer is continual, it's ongoing, it's repetitive for others. Don't give up, don't lose heart, Keep, keep going. It's the same teaching of Jesus. Remember the parable of the persistent widow from Luke chapter 18 when uh, Jesus tells his disciples, you should just pray and don't, don't give up. Don't lose heart. And he says there's a, there was a widow out there who had a problem. She was after justice and there was a judge who didn't like people and he didn't care about justice. Right? Not a great judge. And she showed up every day just knocking on his door. She kept bugging and begging. And if a wicked judge would just get exasperated and say, okay, here you go, just leave me alone. What more should you expect from your God who loves you in Christ Jesus? Keep asking for other people. Right. Now, why is it repetitive? Why would, why would he keep praying? And I, I think this is, this is me and filling in the gaps from, from just the way Jesus uh, things. Why would Paul keep praying these things? Right, when you take the time to be intentional, to ask God for something for someone else, you know what you're doing? You're training your brain to think about other people. You're training yourself, God is training you to love other people. Because right? pr- prayer is that place where you do the hard work of asking God to change what I care about most to go after my desires, to really believe what God tells me to believe. I get to experience it in prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God. And so when you repeat something, you love it. And when you repeat something, it's also training you to love it. There's a cycle. I mean, think about the way our binging entertainment culture works. You say, I love this TV show, and what do you do? You go and watch it 15 times. Some of us have seen particular TV shows. Maybe it's I Love Lucy. (laughs) I'm trying to get all the generations here. Maybe it's The Office. Maybe it's The Mandalorian or Star Wars. I I meet people who just, they go home, they get to the end, and they start over because they love it, and it keeps feeding that love. So when you pray for people continually, you're not only communicating to them and to God that you love and care for them, it's teaching you to think outside of yourself. It's a 
The repetition is a reflection of what you care about, even as you teach yourself to care about other people. You're learning to love what God loves, which is the saints, the brothers and sisters in the church. So how do you pray? Keep going. Continually get used to the repetition. It's a, it, repetition is a good thing. And if you don't believe me, the sun comes up every day because God tells it to. He has a lot more delight in repetition than we do. What do we ask for? And this is the next, the next question. What do we keep asking for? What are we going to bother God, so to speak, over and over and over again for other people, for other Christians? And that's where he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, that's God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to change the way you live, right? So that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. May you know God, may you know what he wants, and may you do it. May that make God smile when he sees you doing what he enjoys. There's a lot jam-packed into this paragraph. and So I'm going to try and pull out some threads that are really helpful. But think about the prayer itself. May you, the Colossians, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. May you know how to live well according to what God says. Which sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done, Father, but your will be done. Paul's echoing these ideas. But he's praying it for other Christians. And he says, I want God, I'm asking you to fill them up. And this is what Bible, the Bible nerds call a divine passive. You know what, it mean, what a passive verb is? To be filled. Right? It, it means the recipient has nothing to do with the action. Right? Jonah, you want to help me? You ready? You were willing a couple minutes ago. <laughs> Here, can you just hold this cup? This is an empty cup, to be clear, right? All you got to do is stand there. Right? So when I pray... God, will you fill Jonah's cup up? Right? Jonah has nothing to do with the effect. He gets the, he's the recipient. He's the, benef- the, the beneficiary of someone else filling up his cup with water. Right? If I go say, Eben, will you fill up Jonah's cup with water? Jonah just stands there and receives the gift. Paul is praying for the Colossians that God would intervene and act for them as they are passive recipients of God's goodness. Thanks, buddy. You can, you can take the cup and go sit. Cheers. It's free. <laughs> right? To be filled. It's a divine passive. It's, it's, it's a good news word. Paul wants you, he wants Christians, he wants the Colossian Christians to be filled with knowledge of God's will, but it's something that God will do. That's the whole point. God is at work in other Christians, and he prays that God would do that. May you be filled up with knowing what God wants, and then you have wisdom to know how to do it and understand how to get there. So what's God's will? What are you you praying for other people to be filled with, and you as well? And so theologians talk about God's will in a couple different ways. They talk about his hidden will, and they'll talk about his revealed will. God's hidden will, those are all the questions that you come and ask the pastor, and he says, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> right? 
Where should you live? Well, you can live anywhere in the world. Uh, who should you marry? I mean, there's specifics, the things that he reveals, but he doesn't give you a name. Right? If a pastor says, or if you were single and someone else says, God told me we should get married, right? your, your, your radar should be going off. That is, that's not something that is made crystal clear. If you're, you're wondering what career I should choose, what college I should go to, how should I spend my retirement, uh, what specific words must I use right now in this difficult parenting moment? Uh, when is Jesus coming back? How many angels can dance on a head of a pin? I mean, you know, all these things, we have no idea. Specifics, because God hasn't told us, because the secret things of God belong to God. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. But he has told us an awful lot in the scriptures. That's his revealed will. What does God want you to do? He wants you to grow in your understanding of what he's already told you. Right? We ask a lot of questions about what he hasn't told us, but he first wants us to master what he's told us. Right? Should I forgive this person who has just cut me off on the north way? Or should I kill them? <laughs> he was pretty clear about that. Do not kill. Uh, forgive, 70 times 7 even if he cuts you off again and again. Uh, even in Christian community, right, and, and in families and homes, what is God's will for those difficult relationships? Should you forgive? Jesus said, yes, you should forgive. That's clear. It's his revealed will. You know, when you're asking questions, should I click on this website that's going to forever alter the way I see women or men? Um, should I do whatever I want with my physical lusts and desires? Right? God gave us clear, specific things to say. Don't commit sexual immorality. Um, should I yell at my spouse to get what I want? Should I be passive-aggressive? Right? Paul says, don't, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. Um, there's very specific, clear things that, are, that we struggle to live out. And Paul says, I pray you would know more about how God wants you to live, where you're at. For the Colossians, it's in Colossae. For us, it would be here in your home, your house, your work your career. Right. May you grow in your knowledge of God's will on how God wants you to live according to the scriptures. Right. That's one part of it. Just, just learning the knowledge, right? If you don't know, you're a new Christian, you're trying to figure this out, you start by reading one of the Gospels and listen to what Jesus says. Uh, your knowledge will increase. So, so part of this prayer is may you want to know more. May you increase. May God give you a desire to know the scriptures. Um, of course, the problem is we don't do God's revealed will well, which is why we need Christ, which is why we need a Savior, and that is also part of Paul's prayer. Right? When he says here, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, he puts all those words in another sentence in Colossians 2, verse 2. And you can, you can turn your page and look at it. But he says, I want you, that your hearts might be encouraged, you might be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what is Paul praying? What does he want for you? More, this is a primary thing, right? He wants you to know Jesus to know Christ, because that's where you become wise. That's where you learn how to live well. Uh, that's how you see a model worth 
imitating. Live worthy of the Lord. And so Paul really wants the Colossians to know Jesus, and that is his prayer. I pray you would know more of Jesus. And he keeps asking. They're already Christians. Why is he saying, what well, do you need more? <laughs> because you don't know everything yet, and neither do I. Don't try to obey God's revealed will without Jesus because you can't. We need help. That's part of the prayer. Pray for others that they too would see Jesus and would see more of him. Because there's riches there. So, you're going to pray, you're, you're starting to pray for somebody, what are you going to say? And I'll, I'll challenge you this way. Right? Do your prayers sound like you want to know Jesus more? And do your prayers sound like you want others to know Jesus more? Right? Do, do they have that kind of focus to knowledge of God's will? Right? That's, that's part of what, it, what it's looking at. Right? Ask for more. Fill, fill that cup up again. There, there's always more. There are rivers of living water to drink from, and we're just, we're just on the shore. Because right? I think this is what happens so I've, we go in ways, right, of, of our excitement about, about the gospel. But it's really easy to say, okay, God saved me. I'm not going to hell. I have that assurance. And just stop. Right? Anyone remember Scrooge McDuck? DuckTales? It's on Disney+. Plus. It's a cartoon. He, uh, he had a vault filled with treasure complete with a diving board where he could just run and jump and dive in and swim around and, and not share anything he had. <laughs> His name was Scrooge. Right? And I think this is what we as Christians are often tempted to do is, is we, f- we think that God is, is somewhat stingy and he gives us that coin, you get the get-out-of-jail-free card, and, and we're just happy with that coin. When, when Paul is praying for other Christians, why don't you be like Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> Hit the diving board, jump in swim around, enjoy, and see that there is much more wealth to be given by God than you can ever imagine. Don't be satisfied with just the one coin. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus, your knowledge of the scriptures, your knowledge of who God is. There's always more. But it's all centered on Jesus, and that's, that's the point of Colossians. When Paul writes about knowing God's will in Jesus, and this is the way to become spiritual, He's actually pushing back against what's tempting the Colossian Christians. There are a lot of options in the ancient world in Colossae to be spiritual. Right? Spiritual but not religious, that, that's not a new thing. They just use different terminology. Right? Because what truly spiritual people, this is what the Christians were being tempted or being taught. Well, you just have to have a mystical vision. You've been to heaven and back. Sound familiar? There's, just go to Barnes & Noble, there's a whole... There's a whole heaven tourism section. Paul would say that's, that's not going to help change you. Or truly spiritual people get excited about angels. And Paul would say, nah, it's about Jesus. And you can imagine the really good spiritual people having visions or mystical experiences or the super secret knowledge that if you have what I have, then everything will change. I mean, the ancient word was Gnosticism, the secret knowledge. It's not secret. It's Jesus. None of that is helpful because it's empty spirituality. It won't fill you. 
There's also the, the, the ancient, like they're, they're Jewish Christians, and so they're always being tested and saying the truly spiritual people are disciplined, right? You want to change? You want to know God's will? Well, wh- how's your Sabbath life? You know, do you rest on the Saturday? Uh, do you keep the law? Do you, are you circumcised? Are you celebrating the feasts, right? Or are you doing things to beat yourself into submission into God's law? That outwardly it looks wonderfully pious, but on the inside it doesn't actually change you. It just keeps you busy. It looks good. Paul's going to say that's just a shadow compared to the goodness and the substance of who Jesus is. So, so when you pray, pray for others to know God's will, and God's will is that people would know Jesus more. Right? Don't add anything to Jesus. It will not make you more spiritual. It actually makes you less. Right? So it's a pretty offensive thing to say then and now, that the way you are spiritual is to be connected to Jesus by faith. And then he expands on it. I want you to be filled with wisdom and understanding. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He calls, it says spiritual wisdom in our text. It's the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. Spiritual and spirit are connected. It probably should be capitalized. Paul is praying that you that other Christians would be filled with more of the Spirit. We sang it this morning. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He is three persons, yet one God, and I know it's a mystery, and we can talk about it. And I'm still going to tell you it's a mystery. But Paul is praying that may God's Spirit come into your life to make you a person who is wise and understands who's changing. Because that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. Every person who is a Christian is spiritual. Every person who is a Christian has the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, I want you to have more. He's praying that you would have more to help you live differently. So how do you pray? Ask that God would give the Holy Spirit to others. Now I want you to hear the full weight. This is really cool of how Paul packs... Pretty much the whole, a whole Old Testament storyline into that phrase, wisdom and understanding. There are Old Testament buzzwords, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. If you've read the Proverbs, you know they're everywhere, especially in the beginning. Right? It's also in Exodus and in Isaiah. And so when God was building the tabernacle in Exodus, this is Exodus chapter 31, if you want to read it later. In Exodus 31 and 35, a guy named uh, Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of wisdom and understanding in order to craft this physical tent and the the pieces well, to do good art, to do good craftsmanship. The Spirit gave him the ability to do what he was going to do. So if you're good at your job, in God's common grace, he has given you the ability to do it, to have wisdom and understanding, right? Um, I have a computer science degree. I was not good at it. Some people, they can look at a, look at a problem and they can just take the, the, the stuff and they can just see the point from point A to point B and they can solve it. Right? That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's plumbing. Maybe it's carpentry. But whatever. It's the gift of the Spirit. And Paul takes that idea and says, this is how we live lives pleasing to God. We need the spirit of wisdom and understanding to build God's dwelling place here on earth. 
add to that picture. Isaiah 11, which we read this morning. It's in your bulletin. Um, it's all about Jesus, God's coming king. And when this king comes, it says the spirit of wisdom and understanding will be on him. So there's that phrase again. Uh, the spirit is going to give you words of wisdom to say to others. The spirit of counsel, you can help people. Uh, the spirit of might, who gives you strength to persevere and endure when you, you feel like you can't go on another day. Uh, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, you're going to know. The spirit comes, he's going to help you know God. That was on Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to bring an unparalleled peace within God's people across the world. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. The whole earth is going to be filled with God's presence and glory. All because the Spirit filled Jesus with wisdom and understanding. So you put all that together. I'll try and slow down here. You know what Paul's praying and teaching us to pray for others? May you be filled with the same spirit Jesus was filled with that made him perfect. May you be filled again with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the exact same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do everything that he did. Paul is praying for others and for you, teaching us to pray, right? That you would be as spiritual as Jesus is spiritual. The Holy Spirit would come into your life and teach you how to live well as a human being. May you be wise as Jesus was wise. May you know God as Father the way Jesus knew God as Father. May you understand how the world works the way Jesus understood how the world works. May you be a person of counsel, a person of strength, even though you're weak and even though you don't feel adequate because God came to help you with his spirit. Right? We need help. May the Spirit fill you with wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is not the human default setting. Just Google the Darwin Awards. <laughs> right, grown men working on electricity, hanging over a metal ladder over a pool. The point is, you're praying and asking for help, and wisdom's not our default setting. You don't get there by drifting. You, you cannot be changed unless you ask for it. It's an intentional thing. And Paul's teaching us to Pray that for others. Right. To not only not be complacent about ourselves, but ask God to, to help others live well. So, Paul is praying, may you know God, may you know Jesus, and may you be filled with the same power, strength, wisdom, understanding that Jesus had. Um, he's, he's packed in that stuff in there. Right. So when you become a Christian... You've begun a process where God is working to change you into a person like Jesus. And the goal is to be, to walk and live in a way that's worthy of him. To change. That, that's, he uses a lot of big words, but that's really the goal. Paul is praying that God would change and intervene and help other people. See, the, the, the Christian default mode is God help me, I need to change. I am not okay right now. And that doesn't change. You pray that again and again and again. So, so God change me. <laughs> and then God equip them. They're, they're struggling. They're telling me, they tell me they're struggling. Right? There's, there's wisdom to know when to say, God's telling me to pray that you need to change. <laughs> right? Be gentle. 
But it's, this is how Christians work. We, we want to see God work in someone else's life. That's encouraging to us. Now, how, this is the goal, so that you change, to walk worthy of the Lord, right? It says, so fill you so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing. And this is the last point, and this is much quicker. Right? Everything we've said is God's at work in you. And this is the point. It doesn't make you passive. God is at work in you to change you in order that you might do something. And there's four things listed here. You might bear fruit in every good work. He's assuming you're going to do good things. What are those good things? Well, that's what the, God's will is, the scriptures. Um, may you increase in the knowledge of God. You grow in your doctrine. Uh, do, do better theology. Get sharper, clearer. Uh, may you be strengthened. You need strength to face whatever it is you're facing. And may you uh, give thanks. Changing the, all those things. All right. May you bear fruit in every good work. So let's look at that one. May you bear fruit. Why would, you, why would I want you to bear fruit? Why does God want you to bear fruit? Well, this way. Wh what is fruit for? Is it just for the health of the tree? When Beth and I were in Uganda, we walked past this massive mango tree. Jonah reminded me of it because he was chowing on a mango this week. And it, it was just littered with fresh mangoes. Uh, students were just sit, sitting there. They could take a mango to eat. Um, right? The fruit was there for others. Right? See, God is interested in making you and I, other people, a person who bears fruit, things that make God smile so the fruit is for God, that he might come and enjoy you. Um, that when he sees what you're doing, he, he smiles because he sees the, the result of his work in you. But it's also for others. Think of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about later, of peace and patience and joy and self-control and love and kindness and gentleness. All these things are like mangoes hanging from you that other people get to enjoy because you're changing. Right. And so just imagine this. Go out into your orchard or someone who has an orchard, some of you have fruit trees, go tell the tree to bear fruit. I want you to hear how, what, you, what Paul is asking. Just tell the tree, come, come forth, apples. Now, what, what happens? How does fruit grow? It's much more organic, isn't it? A tree must drink deeply from the ground. It must have water. It must have uh, sun, all the right conditions for it to grow. It must be connected to the source of life. And that's Paul's prayers. So the goal of no growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom, is it's to connect you to the source of life, that you might become a life-giving person, empowered by the grace of our God. That you might bear fruit in every good work. That's for other people. Uh, may you increase in the knowledge of God. May you know him as Father, Son, and Spirit. That takes time and experience and intentionality and, and growing in your theological understanding. And here's a great prayer to pray for others. May you be strengthened with all power according to his, his glorious might for endurance and patience. Just think about that prayer. It's not wrong to pray, God, this stinks, make it stop. This hurts. Heal me. But how powerful is the prayer is, Lord, give them the strength to endure 
what you are walking with them in. Through chemo, through parenting, through finals week, <laughs> through a new job, through just the whole anxiety of being in your 20s and, and making major life decisions. You know, may God give you the strength and patience to wait for God to act. Right? To endure with joy, right? without grumbling, without complaining. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult thing to endure without complaining. God, give them strength. May you grow in giving thanks uh, to God the Father for the work he's done, the work he started. Right? See, all of this is to, it's, it's swirling around that you would pray for others to change. And as you pray for others to change, you're actually working on you. Because there's this funny thing that happens. When I pray for, um, for my children to listen to me, it's kind of like a giant mirror. Because it's also teaching me I need to be a person who listens. Not only to them, but also to my Heavenly Father, because I don't want to do what He wants all the time. So when you're praying for others, it's, it is doing soul surgery on you. That's a lot. How is all this possible? I think it's connected to the thanks. That's how Paul ends this little paragraph in his prayer, that you would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you for this life, for inheritance of the saints in light. Right. I want you to live a life worthy of Jesus, the perfect human being. Do you feel the, the weight of that? The trajectory is, we're, we're not there. And yet, it says, God the Father has qualified you. He has made you worthy to inherit, uh, to, in, to, to receive the inheritance of the saints. It's all of grace. If you change, it's a gift of grace. That's the point. He, what he calls you to be, he qualifies you to be. So think about it this way. What God the Father has done, this is his will for you. Um, he's, he didn't just say, here's what your resume should be. He says, here's, here's the resume you have in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the one who was made perfect through suffering. That is your resume now. You are, you are qualified to receive what Jesus has, the inheritance, the new heavens and new earth, God with you, the Spirit giving you wisdom and understanding. He gives you that resume, which, gives you, which makes you say thank you to God. And as you say thank you to God, your attention's drawn to what he cares about and you start to pray again. Right. So you start to ask those questions. Does God the Father really love me? Yes, he does. It was his plan to send Jesus to die for me. Because look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This whole life that we just talked about today, that was bought and paid for by Jesus. It's redemption. His death, the cost the death of God's beloved firstborn. You remember the story of Israel in Egypt? Under the cruel tyranny of Pharaoh, they're enslaved, they're being told to work, but they're never given the resources or the ability to do that work. Make bricks, but you get no straw. It's a boss who's never happy, never satisfied. You can never do a good enough job. How miserable is that? Especially if you're a people pleaser, you just die inside. 
For God to set Israel free in the, in the history, it was the 10th plague. It was the death of the firstborn that set them free, the death of the beloved son. Except they too were sinners. They had to be made qualified to receive God's redemption, right? And to do that, they had to take refuge under the blood of the lamb. They had to kill a lamb, paint the doorpost with the blood, and take refuge under it. So when the angel of death came, their firstborn was spared. They too were moral failures, even as they were victims. They needed redemption. That whole story is to teach everyone to prepare the world for Jesus, that what it costs to qualify anyone for the life of a Christian is the death of the firstborn, God's beloved son. In the ancient world, for Israel, it was Pharaoh's son who died. Israel was set free. For us as Christians, it was God's beloved son who came from eternity past into time, the son whom God loves, came to die on a cross to give us forgiveness of sins, to make you a son as Jesus is a son, to give you the inheritance that you might be holy and blameless above accusation. That's why we keep giving thanks. It's astounding. So the whole, he promises, here's how I want you to pray. God, will you do something in their life? Oh, and by the way, you have done something, and that's how I know that you will work in someone else's life. You go back where we started when our secular friends are saying, I don't know, why would I pray? That's stupid. Why would I believe God interacts and intervenes and cares about my suffering? It's not going to make a difference. We say, well, what about Jesus, who came into history, who's telling you a true story about the world that shows you that he cares about you? And that's why I want to pray for you, if you'll let me. And I'm going to pray for you when I don't see you. See, what the gospel is doing and Paul is teaching us to put into words and to pray, it puts our duty, what we're called to do, and our pleasure together. And then God's saying, will you please make that true of me? And John Newton, this was his hymn. He says, our duty and pleasure go together. Though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, since we've seen Jesus' beauty, they are joined together to part no more. See, the gospel is working to change you into a person who prays for others, even as he's working to change you. So with all that, let's learn to pray for one another, uh, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, uh, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus, bearing fruit in every good work. Let's pray. Father, we just pray what Paul prayed for us, that these things would be true, that you would, that we would want to be a part of the process where you invade our lives and change us. And if there are those who do not yet know you or who are trying to figure out who Jesus is, that they would start with the redemption, the forgiveness of sins that was bought with a price with your beloved son so that we might be made worthy. So may Hope Church be, a, be like a giant tree filled with the fruit of the Spirit that our neighbors might come and enjoy and then give glory to our Father in heaven because of what you've done in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.